The political landscape keeps evolving. Leaders and all Americans have an obligation to keep up and stand up. The states are the laboratories of democracy. To know where America is going, we must continue to look to the states. Welcome to Gallantly Streaming, a smart and engaging podcast brought to you by the State Financial Officers Foundation. Here are your hosts, Derek Kreifels and Jonathan Williams. Hi, this is Derek Kreifels, the CEO of the State Financial Officers Foundation, and I'm joined by my good friend, Jonathan. Jonathan, you want to introduce yourself? Well, absolutely, Derek. Hello, everybody. Jonathan Williams here, Executive Vice President of Policy and Chief Economist at ALEC, and also uh, very pleased to be the new Senior Policy Advisor at the State Financial Officers Foundation, Derek. Exciting times. It is exciting, and we're so pleased about that as well, Jonathan. We're excited to have you on the team uh, you always already bring a ton to the movement and value, and uh, we're just uh, thrilled to have you a, a part of what we're doing as well. Um, this podcast is going to be all about um, everything financial in our country, the things that are happening, and uh, I couldn't be happier to get the, the our you know first podcast of gallantly streaming. Um, I love the patriotic you know tone in the name. Um, it's going to be a great uh, opportunity for us to be able to talk about some of the pressing issues of our times. Well, this is going to be just fantastic to kind of marry up the uh, ideas that you're following with the state financial officers directly. And then the work that we're doing with state legislators and just the overlap on the economic and the financial issues that are pressing uh, across the nation. And of course, you know, we, we're talking about some pretty weighty uh, issues these days with trillions and trillions of dollars of new taxing and spending here in the land of make believe, as I always say, Washington, D.C., where just recently, of course, the U.S. House got across the Build Back, so called Build Back Better. I like to call it Build Back Broker, as some have I said. I love that. Uh, I think and, that's you know, great. It's just a very difficult times right now dangerous times for taxpayers. And so I think this discussion, our new podcaster, couldn't be more happy to get this kicked off, as I know we've talked about it uh, for a long time, Derek, is bringing together some really positive, uplifting state ideas and solutions. Because at the end of the day, as Reagan would say, uh, solutions and ideas, they're not going to originate from Washington, D.C. and a big central government. They're going to come from the states and the people of the states. That's right. And that's our motto at SFOF is look to the states. So I think all of that marries very well. Um, but let's just jump right into the Build Back Better, or the, as you call it, the Build Back Broke uh, program, the, the bill uh, that the House did pass this last week. Um, let's talk about some of the, the bad things that are in it, Jonathan. Well, there's a lot of the, there's a lot to go there, Derek. We could spend uh, potentially a whole hour <laughs> episode talking about all of the dangerous uh, things there. Of course, it includes uh, basically the progressive wish list of big government policies that have been talked about really as campaign messaging items for many many years. Now, when you have you know people uh, like Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and Bernie Sanders really running the show in Washington, at least on the legislative side, they've kind of put all of these big bad progressive ideas in to one package uh, that maybe they think will pass in the Senate, maybe not. You know, that's really the, the name of the game right now with Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema holding out, saying that this is too expensive. Look at the inflation that we see right now, something that I know you and I have talked about a lot. We had Andy Puzder in to speak at our recent State Financial Officers Foundation meeting there in Florida. You know, he's followed inflation very closely. 
you know, adding uh, several trillion dollars of new spending and new debt that would put us above uh, 30 trillion, uh, just a remarkable, scary number. Uh, just big things here that we're talking about when it comes to the tax and, and spend front, and then getting down into some of the details. And I know we want to talk a little bit more about some of the specific and dangerous ideas that we've talked about, let's say like the IRS uh, provisions and things like that. Uh, but you go down the list, whether it's uh, Medicaid, Medicare changes, uh, whether it's energy, natural gas taxes, uh, whether it's, um, you know, so many different facets all crammed into one. Uh, this is going to be, I think, very unlikely, Derek, that it will pass in its current iteration anyways in the Senate side. But never say never in Washington, as yeah. I've always uh, told folks. Well, and it is amazing, Jonathan. You said something to me that that um, that I want to highlight. You know, it, it does feel like they're moving full steam ahead, even after, you know, two weeks ago where we had this enormous earthquake of an election in Virginia, right? A, a very uh, arguably purple, uh, uh, purple at least, but but has been traditionally blue for several years, um, suddenly electing uh, Glenn Youngkin as, as the new governor. Um, and at that point, I think many of us kind of felt like, okay, maybe the progressives in Washington have seen the light, they've learned their lesson. It doesn't seem like that's true at all. They're moving full speed ahead. Well, that's right. I mean, and I was talking to a senior member of Congress yesterday about this, and we both remarked that, you know, this is not so unlike what happened you know, a decade plus ago when then it was Speaker Pelosi again, and it was then a Barack Obama in the White House with Joe Biden as vice president, and they passed Obamacare. And this was yeah. something that they put all of these so-called moderate Democrats they made him walk the plank. There was almost an impossible vote. They knew they were going to lose their reelects. But Derek, part of me thinks that this is part of the grander, kind of broader, long-term strategy of the progressive left to realize, yeah, we may lose Congress in 2022, but once these big government policies are in place, we're going to dare conservatives then repeal them. Because we all saw now, 10 plus years later, uh, conservatives haven't had much success at rolling back even some of the most damaging elements of Obamacare. So I think this may be a calculated strategy to allow these, you know, maybe 10, 20, 30 Democrats that are in vulnerable districts to just lose their 2022 reelect and then uh, let the chips fall when it comes to repealing the policy. Yeah, it is unbelievable. Um, let's talk about one of the things that uh, had, had started off in, in the, the Build Back Better program uh, in the bill, um, but changed to the current, um, the current uh, model of it. Uh, it's still yet to be seen how, what it will look like in the Senate. It's an issue that many of our state treasurers, as you know, um, spoke out, got some national news attention. Uh, our national treasurer, uh, our chair, uh, Nebraska treasurer, John Moranti, um, was on CNN and Fox News. We had Treasurer Fitzpatrick, the CFO of Florida, Jimmy Patronis. Um, several of them uh, made some, some national news waves on this IRS snooping issue. Um, that isn't exactly, it's not dead yet all the way. We keep hearing uh, word that the progressives are going to try to get it back alive because they need the pay for in the bill. Um, but, uh, you know, it's one of those deals where, again, they argue that it was to catch the tax cheats um, and the rich. But it, when the measure was first proposed, it is not in there this way now, just to be clear. Uh, but when it was first proposed, it was a $600 transaction for almost every American. What do you think about that? And, and how do you think that would have impacted or something like that would impact uh, Americans today? Well, I think clearly, Derek, this was one of the very most dangerous policy ideas 
that I've seen in my career when it comes to loss of privacy uh, and unprecedented overreach by a federal government into the lives of, let's not forget this, law-abiding American citizens uh, just by virtue of having, in that case, $600 in in, in transactions. They quote-unquote compromise was really a farce compromise, as you know well, as you pointed this out in in your work, Derek, at SFOF and your treasurers of the $10,000 aggregate inflow-outflow discussion there that uh, I guess the average American has uh, more than $60,000 annually of aggregate inflow and outflow out of accounts. And of course, we're not just talking bank accounts here. We're talking Venmo. We're talking all kinds of cash app and other ways that people have financial transactions today. And so when you look at polling right now, uh, the vast majority, over 70% of Americans currently believe the IRS is overly intrusive. If anybody's gone through an IRS uh, audit themselves, they know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, and imagine giving the IRS this much more unprecedented authority. And it's I think it's clearly unconstitutional. It's clearly something that Treasurer Moranti, when I saw him on uh, primetime, and uh, Treasurer Fitzpatrick, you know, they said, we're just not going to enforce it. And good for them, right. because right. this is a direct assault on the uh, rights and privacy of law-abiding Americans. And I think we're seeing this among state legislators as well. We've seen several states now pre-file our new ALEC model resolution to say enough is enough on this. Pennsylvania Senate actually already passed that resolution. And I think we're seeing uh, legislators really get up in arms and say, if we don't talk now, if we don't stand up for the principles of a free society in this uh, case, you know, how far does this go in terms of a uh, surveillance state, basically, that this would allow big government to set up in the future? That's right. It's a warrantless search, right? It's a violation of the Fourth Amendment, and um, it, it should be horrifying to any American paying attention, which, by the way, there's never been an issue that got as many people in the general public fired up and reaching out to SFOF as this one issue. Um, I mean, it's it's incredible because it really just feels like uh, Treasurer Moranti actually said this on one of the newscasts. You would expect this from communist China. You would not expect this from anybody within the federal government of the United States of America. That's exactly right. I was talking to uh, Congresswoman Victoria Sparks from Indiana, who uh, she was a uh, grew up on the other side of the Iron Curtain and uh, and under Soviet control. And she, you know, said this is eerily similar to kind of tactics that were used there in, uh, in her days growing up. So it is absolutely uh, terrifying. But I mean, you made a good point there, Derek. Is you know the Biden administration and members of Congress, you know, we have to ask ourselves why do they keep this horribly unpopular provision in the policy? Uh, or at least being discussed right now. It's not totally dead. I understand members of the Senate are even looking to maybe insert this back in as this build back better so-called plan goes over to the Senate side now. And it's because the Biden administration and others are basically uh, saying we need the $400 billion that this would be projected to bring in 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 terms of new enforcement over the 10-year CBO score uh, in Washington to try to make this uh, big, bad government socialism bill uh, look less bad and less costly. And so that's the really the dirty secret in Washington is they are dependent on this revenue. And unfortunately, they're holding uh, our privacy as collateral as part of the ab- ability to get this uh, policy across the finish line in Washington. But that's right. I think that even uh, on a deeper level, I think some of them just flat out believe that socialism is is a better form of government or, or, or flat out communism. I mean, I, at the end of the day, they're hiding behind this this idea that they have to 
pay for, uh, you know, all of these different programs. But, um, you know, you look at some of the stuff they're doing and, and and I say they, I don't think it's every Democrat in the party. I think it's this minority group of progressives who are very loud, very organized and very well funded. Um, I do not believe they represent the majority of Americans or even a majority. I'm going to believe uh, in my heart of hearts, the best goodwill possible, that that's not representative of a majority of the Democratic Party. Well, here, here, let's hope that's the case. And, you know, in so many of these financial issues and economic issues that we talk about regularly and we're going to talk about on this podcast, I know going forward, Derek, are these are not Republican or Democrat issues. These are good government financial Policy 101, Economics 101, that we're going to spend a lot of time talking about. And by no means is this meant to be partisan. This is meant to be talking about the big picture, what works and what doesn't work when it comes to economics and finance. Um, That's right. But, you know, Derek, speaking of bad ideas in Washington <laughs> that haven't yeah. been completely disposed of yet, uh, the White House still hasn't withdrawn the embattled nomination of Saleh Omarova as the comptroller of the currency. I know you all uh, at State Financial Officers Foundation have been very active on raising awareness on this, and the treasurers and auditors have spoken up. What have you heard about this lately, and what do you think is next? You know, um, conventional wisdom is is that um, when you're someone who has self-proclaimed that they are a Marxist, that they uh, you know have a background where they they've been con- uh, accused of shoplifting. Um, they, the, the list goes on and on. Uh, she has talked about wanting to nationalize the banking system and have it all fall under the Federal Reserve Bank. Um, she talks about the, under that system only giving credit to what she would call uh, not giving credit to socially suboptimal entities or people. What does that even mean? Right. Like, I don't like the idea of the government making a decision on who's going to get a bank loan and who's not. I mean, this this nominee is about as as off the wall communist as it gets. Um, and I know, you know, Senator Brown of Ohio, you know, is, is you know, going after anybody that that's name calling. Well, the woman has said that. Um, and, you know, in her hearing, I found it really humorous that her answer when asked about some of these things was I misspoke. Well, I don't think that flies in a United States Senate confirmation hearing. I don't know about you, um, but those those words matter and they stick. And I just don't see a way forward for this nomination to go to be passed. Well, uh, you know, I think it's going to be a rough go of it when it comes to that uh, uh, talk at the uh, the committee there on the confirmation. I think there's going to be some very difficult questions still to answer uh, based on those public statements, as you pointed out. I mean, this is awfully radical stuff here, Derek. Uh, we're not talking about just mainstream, you know, liberal versus conservative economics. We are talking about off the charts, you know, pro-communist statements that were being hurled here. And I, I think even in this day and age and how dug in, you know, the progressive left has gotten uh, and the ability of they've kind of kind of drunk with power here over the last uh, number of months in Washington and I think overreached pretty dramatically so on the on the the government uh, social big government socialism spending and so many of the other initiatives right now this may be even a bridge too far you know for those folks to say yeah. hey do we really want to go into 2022 and have this on our record that we've endorsed a new comptroller of the currency and put our rubber stamp as the United States Senate on this 
this with the kind of public statements she has made. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. I've, I'm almost given up guessing uh, in this kind yeah. of a, a thing these <laughs> days in Washington, just because it has gotten kind of silly season. And as you know, Derek, as closer this gets to 2022, the more silly season it will get. However, I do think this is just even outside the mainstream for the Biden administration and members of the uh, majority in Congress. I think you're right. I think uh, this this nomination will end up being withdrawn. They will not have the votes. I think this goes way beyond just uh, Senator Sinema and Manchin opposing. I think, um, you know, I think Senator Testers mentioned that he has some issues with the nomination. I think there's a potential of Senator from Virginia who has had some issues in the hearing uh, with a, her stance on a, a bill that he helped co-sponsor. I just I think this is just way beyond uh, the fold of um, crazy. And I think that's partly why you saw uh, uh, Powell as the nominee for uh, the Federal Reserve chair as well. I think uh, he president realizes that he's gone too far on some of this other fiscal policy um, nominations. And this was a way to um, get some normalcy back in the, in, you know, not rock the boat too much. Yeah, that's um, right. And I think it was a bit of a surprise that nomination to many of us. And it was uh, certainly something that's going to uh, have the progressive left uh, up in arms as you've already seen. So interesting right. to see how this will all play out. Let's talk a little bit. I know um, we've got just a little bit of time left. Um, one of the other big issues that we're facing right now in our space uh, with state treasurers and state auditors, other financial officers, is just kind of the corporate boardroom activism that's happening around the country. And I want to just highlight a couple of things that have happened. Um, you know, last week we had Missouri Treasurer Scott Fitzpatrick featured on a Tucker Carlson Tonight show uh, decrying the ideological boycotting of conservatives in Missouri by um, payment processor WePay, um, which happens to be a subsidiary, I believe, of J.P. Morgan Chase. Um, you know, Treasurer Fitzpatrick basically had a group in the state of Missouri that was bringing in Donald Trump Jr. and another speaker um, to a paid event. Uh, they were using WePay as the payment processor. It was a conservative group, um, nonprofit. Uh, WePay uh, said that at the time that they froze the account because it violated their anti-terrorism something or other policy, which um, is uh, it just blows my mind. Um, and they froze uh, the account. The folks could no longer get tickets for the event. Um, definitely put a pause on the event. Um, when Treasurer Fitzpatrick went to the airwaves to call WePay and J.P. Morgan Chase out on it, of course. Um, you know, he basically said, look, we're not going to do business with any bank that discriminates against 60 percent of Missourians. Um, and I just applaud him for that. Uh, and, you know, the next day, um, J.P. Morgan did come back and say that they had unlocked the WePay account. Um, it was definitely a win for uh, for free markets and freedom. Uh, and uh, they have said that they will not be discriminating against anyone for their political beliefs. Yeah. Any any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's uh, you know, tell you tell you what Scott Fitzpatrick is uh, really a star out there on all these national media shows on IRS issue and on this issue. He does such a great job on those interviews as I've watched. Uh, I'll tell you what, we could all learn something about his communication. Uh, he's fantastic. The uh, when it comes to this issue. 
I'll tell you what, I mean, broadly speaking on this particular element, and then as it comes to state pension uh, funds that we've done a lot of work on, you know, I do think that there's a real uh, need for conservatives to uh, raise their voices to say, let's stop the discrimination against ideological viewpoints here, regardless of whether it's conservatives today, guess what, it may be liberals tomorrow, and let's get business That's back right. into the business of doing business and looking out for customers, looking out for their stakeholders and their shareholders, and stop playing political games. Regardless of the side, regardless of the issue, uh, let's get politics out of pensions, let's get politics out of the decision of you know which you know groups have access to banking, and so I think it's a need to get this back to neutral, to say business, pay attention to the things you need to pay attention to, and let's leave the politics to those that are actually on the ballot with their names out there and running for office. How about that, Derek? That's a, I think it's a pretty succinct way to sum up the issue. Amen. That we've seen it happen <laughs> so many times across the country. Uh, it's getting really tiring for those of us who are conservative to say, hey, you want to take us for granted and say, hey, you're always going to do the right thing uh, on free market issues, which we will because we're principled conservatives and that's what we do. We stand up for free markets. However, groups out there, individuals out there, especially with a big platform like state treasurers and state auditors and legislators need to be talking to the business community to say, hey, stick in your lane and let's get down to the business of doing business versus politics. That's right. I mean, that's what we hear every day from these state treasurers, state auditors, these statewide elected officials who are managing the money in their states. They are so tired of having boardroom politics creep into whether or not they can manage the state's funds well, manage their cash flows well, do the banking operations. And, you know, speaking of uh, speaking of banks, um, you know, yesterday, just yesterday, um, Treasurer from West Virginia, Riley Moore, led a coalition of 16 financial officers, including himself, um, to basically uh, send a letter to all of the banks of the country, the, the big banks, saying that uh, they are going to start actively pushing back against any attempt to boycott the energy industry, the reliable energy industry. I mean, here we are in a time when gas prices are triple over the last 18 months. We have, uh, you know, higher heating and energy bills. We have, you know, last winter we had the the horrible situation in Texas and in the South, um, where we didn't have reliable energy in those places that could keep the power on, keep the heat on, and we're now putting uh, our our entire energy infrastructure. And by the way, those companies that a lot of pensions invest in, in terms of fossil fuel. They're great yields. Like they, they are, they are usually a good investment for over the long term. And now you're tying the hands of both pension funds. Your the administration is asking banks to basically not do business with those companies that they disagree with. This whole thing just where does it stop? Right. I mean, we've got to stand up. And these treasurers and auditors, I'm so proud of them. For, for doing what they did and for making, there was an exclusive story to National Review. If you haven't seen it, you should catch that. Uh, we'll post it later on sfof.com. But um, it's, a, it's just a great story. It includes the letter and you can hear how these treasurers and auditors who do get to make decisions about banking contracts, you know, if, if why would you want to work with a company who's working against a huge population of your state? 
I mean, it doesn't make sense, right? It's totally within line. And so, and these treasures, they're not asking for conservative treatment, right? They're not asking for banks to, to be, be free market conservative think tanks or to go back and, you know, choose the conservative angle on an issue. They just want them to be banks. Once they just again, want them back to, to do, neutral, right? Right. They just want them to do their jobs. Uh, so it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a crazy time. Um, I don't know if you have anything to add to that, uh, but we this is the second time we've seen this. Um, the first letter came out in, in, I believe it was late May of this year. Um, this time it grew a little bit um, with the group. Again, Treasure Moore kind of leading that, obviously West Virginia being a big fossil fuel state, um, but it, it impacts the economies of many of these states and they're just not going to put up with it anymore. Well, that's a great point, Derek. And you know, it's great to see the courage of conservatives willing to stand out on this issue because we know it's against the political correct cross currents that are out there because, I mean, it's full bore war on energy mode right now in Washington, D.C. And I think this is another great example of it that's coming coming through on the banking side. Uh, you know, let's not forget, though, I mean, in terms of a war on affordable American energy, one of the first moves was to disallow and stop the Keystone XL pipeline with the that's Biden right. administration as he was greenlighting the Nord Stream natural gas pipeline from Russia into Europe with massive geopolitical uh, consequences, I think. And then you, know, you look at just all the decisions that have been made federally and at the state level from the left against energy, you know, getting whether it's pensions, whether it's overall decisions on exploration and pipelines. You know, this dispute right now in my home state of Michigan with Governor Whitmer, this is causing international uproar with the uh, Line 5 into Canada and potentially costing affordable and uh, reliable energy and going into the winter heating season in a pretty cold place, unfortunately, Derek, in Michigan. Uh, this is just emblematic of an overall attack on American affordable energy today. And that's right. Well, Jonathan, I think we are out of time, uh, but I appreciate uh, you joining me on this new podcast venture, Gallantly Streaming. I think it's a great uh, great opportunity to talk about these issues. I'm looking forward to the future. I think we'll probably try to do this once or twice a month, which will be a lot of fun. Um, and uh, we'll have uh, future people to interview, uh, some elected officials, some state legislators, I think some authors, some business leaders, and I think it'll be really interesting for our listeners. So um, any final words today? No, Derek, this is just great. I, uh, you know, we had too much fun here. We're going to have to do this uh, more often. Uh, there's just so many issues pressing that are out there. I'm really excited to bring our collective perspectives as we look to the states on behalf of SFOF and ALEC and just the men and women who are fighting the good fight and bringing some optimism to what otherwise really could be a pessimistic outlook on life based on what we're seeing in this land of make-believe Washington, D.C., that's right. That's right. Remember uh, that America is still the greatest country uh, in the history of the earth. And we are the last best hope for freedom, as Reagan would say. That's right. That's right. So uh, until next time, uh, this is Derek Kreifels uh, from SFOF and Jonathan Williams of ALEC. And we uh, look forward to being on this show again with you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening today. For more information, visit us online at www.sfof.com.